Taiwan recorded just two local cases of COVID Sunday, a new low since the domestic outbreak in May. Even though the sources of infection are still unknown, both cases had high CT values with low viral loads. As for whether the nation's current level 2 alert will be further downgraded on August 23rd, the health minister gave a response. Among the confirmed cases today, two were domestic, seven were imported, and there were no deaths. There was one case each in Taipei City and New Taipei City. The number of people who have come out of quarantine is 13,172, which is 90% of quarantiners. Looking at the recent development, there was just one day with 12 cases this week, and the other days all had single digits. Three weeks ago, we averaged about 20 cases, and then it dropped to about 15 cases, and then 11 cases. This week is mostly single digits. Overall, the number of confirmed cases is relatively low, and that has allowed a more thorough epidemic investigation, and thus we can be more effective in controlling the epidemic. The containment of the entire epidemic is looking optimistic. As for whether we will downgrade next week, I think we still need more time for observation. But in some areas, we could consider loosened restrictions. If the guidelines are feasible, we will seriously consider doing that. The sixth batch of 249,600 doses of the Moderna vaccine also arrived Sunday afternoon, reaching the government's target of 10 million vaccines by the end of August ahead of time. Together with the batch of 350,000 doses that arrived on August 8th, this latest batch will be administered to the first priority group, the medical workers at the front line. This group had received the AstraZeneca vaccine for their first shot and now will get Moderna for their second shot. Some doses will also be reserved for members of the public who received Moderna for their first shot. The travel bubble that Taiwan and Palau had established was halted in May when Taiwan had a domestic outbreak of COVID. Now that the epidemic is under control, the travel bubble has resumed with the first flight to Palau having left Taipei Saturday. This time, Palau is offering a new option, COVID vaccines to those visiting under the program. But the Central Epidemic Command Center is reminding the public that getting a jab doesn't guarantee immunity. Breakthrough infections are still possible, especially when COVID variants are at play. Tourists filed into the Palau National Gymnasium one after another to get vaccinated. The Palauan government even made some special arrangements. Taiwanese medical workers were on hand to help with translation and verifying passport information. Taiwan's ambassador to Palau also showed up to help facilitate the process. The most important thing is, if you have serious allergy that causes difficulty breathing, then you may have to go to a hospital right away where they'll take care of you in the emergency room. On this initial flight to Palau after the resumption of the travel bubble, 95% of the 146 passengers chose to get vaccinated while visiting Palau. However, the vaccine is no guarantee that one will be completely immune to COVID. 
The Central Epidemic Command Center said of the 145 imported cases of COVID arriving in Taiwan between July 2nd and August 14th, 40 had had a vaccine dose with 12 of them having had two doses administered more than 14 days prior to arrival. Three of the cases were of the Delta variant. These are the kinds of breakthrough infections experts fear. If a variant of the virus escapes immune suppression and mutates too quickly, it may still infect you even after you have been vaccinated. In the future, COVID may be treated with oral antiviral medicine in addition to the current vaccines and certain comprehensive viral drugs. That may become a trend. In addition to the variants, patients with weaker immunity or poor liver and kidney functions will be more likely to get a breakthrough infection. Given that there are currently seven COVID variants in Taiwan, experts are reminding the public that regardless of having received one or two doses of the vaccine, to reduce the risk of infection, people should observe good hygiene practices. The executive yuan is planning to launch another round of stimulus vouchers in October. And unlike last time, no upfront payment will be required this time around. The details of the package will be confirmed after meeting with the DPP party caucus tomorrow. The government's current plan is to employ both print and electronic formats. To boost digital payments, the executive yuan plans to adopt a specialized QR code to facilitate transactions. Electronic vouchers will also be available to children under the age of 15 who have the same bank account as one of their parents. Those who wish to see their digital free money go further can anticipate special promotions by banks and digital payment platforms. Since Pat Gelsinger was appointed as the new CEO of Intel, the world's largest semiconductor manufacturer has been pitching investment plans to the U.S. and countries in Europe to set up fabrication plants amid the global chip shortage. Experts say Intel's initiative seems to be aimed at overtaking TSMC's place as the world's largest chip supplier. Though its manufacturing technology still lag behind Asian players such as TSMC and Samsung, Intel is still a force to be reckoned with on the semiconductor manufacturing landscape. Since appointed Intel CEO at the beginning of the year, Pat Gelsinger has laid out new ambitions for the company. According to the Wall Street Journal, he and his board members met with members of the Biden administration in July, pitching an investment plan worth billions of U.S. dollars. Before the end of the month, the company is expected to announce potential places to set up fabs in a bid to gain government incentives. The world needs a balanced supply chain available across the world. Intel is stepping into that need with major expansions in our U.S. and European efforts to deliver leading semiconductor technologies at manufacturing scale across the U.S., Europe, and available to our global customers. We can see that Intel is endeavoring to rise back up to the top as the world leader in semiconductor technology. It is quite clear that the company's actions are aimed at TSMC. The chip shortage has exposed the vulnerability of the global supply chain, and Intel has seized the opportunity to pitch investment plans to the U.S. and European countries, seeking government incentives from countries around the world.
The company announced a plan to further invest 10 billion U.S. dollars globally and hopes that in 10 years the U.S.'s market share in computer chips will reach 30% and 20% in Europe. However, experts say Intel's recent actions are more talk than substance. Intel and TSMC's relationship will become one of delicate and odd co-opetition, mainly because Intel's recent manufacturing technologies are still lagging behind TSMC. The latter will help Intel mass-produce its core products using the latest manufacturing process. Gelsinger had once pledged to cash up to TSMC's technology in four years. Experts believe that Intel has set its sights on advancing wafer original equipment manufacturing and production processes. With the U.S. government's initiative to invest $52 billion U.S. dollars in the next five years to support America's semiconductor industry, Intel will likely become a contender for the top spot that TSMC currently occupies. Taiwan's ally, Haiti, was struck by a magnitude 7.2 earthquake at 8.29 p.m. Saturday, Taipei time. At least 304 people were killed and 1,800 injured as the timbler sent buildings to the ground. The Haitian prime minister has declared a month-long state of emergency following the disaster. As the saying goes, a friend in need is a friend indeed. In response to the news of the quake, President Tsai expressed her condolences in a tweet stating that Taiwan stands ready to assist Haiti in rescue recovery efforts. Later, presidential office spokesperson Xavier Chang said the president had pledged a donation of 500,000 U.S. dollars out of humanitarianism and partnership to help the Caribbean nation recover from the tragedy. Last Sunday, we put the spotlight on traditional markets, a fading part of daily commerce in Taiwan. Today, we turn to some traditional markets that refuse to become obsolete. One market in the heart of Taipei is thriving after upgrading its facilities, but another is floundering after setting up payment services that have pushed out older shoppers. Tonight, in part two of our special report, Old Markets in a New World, we explored what can go right and what can go wrong when markets reinvent themselves for the modern world. In the past, Puzi First Market was the center of life in the community. There were about 200 stalls operating there, and people selling their wares 24 hours a day. Also, every year in the seventh lunar month during Ghost Festival, the market would burst with crowds. Yen grew up in the market, got married there, and started his business there. Today, he has his granddaughter by his side while he works there. However, the Puzi first market he's known all his life is now very different from what it was 40 years ago. The market opens every morning at 8 and stays open until 9 p.m. Aside from fresh produce and daily goods, this market is known for the local dishes its vendors make. But when we stop by today at noon, there are very few stalls open. 
over half the seats in the dining area are empty. Lu Xiaoying, 82, has run a stall at the market for over 70 years. Over the years, many of the stall owners she's known have left. Today, very few stalls are still here. There was a pork butcher across from me. A little farther down was a vegetable vendor, and behind that were fishmongers. Established in 1905, Pudzi First Market has over 100 years of history. As the building was old and at risk of collapsing, the Jiayi city government had it demolished and rebuilt in 1982. However, the temporary market space set up while it was being rebuilt had trouble attracting vendors because it was too far away and the space was too small, making it very inconvenient. So in the end, the temporary market didn't work out. The temporary market was a flop, and the new market took four years to build. Consequently, vendors folded up shop, and the market's customers were snatched up by a nearby market. Even the completion of the new market failed to draw customers back, and business was bad for over a decade. Finally, in 2007, a new opportunity for change presented itself. The city government introduced a fund for traditional markets to allow them to make improvements. Puzi First Market had the idea of building a food court. The initial idea was for the market's vendors to be concentrated in a square space at the center of the market, with the outside perimeter used for a food court. While the new market appeared large enough to accommodate this, vendors found themselves crowded into a smaller area with no place for display counters or other implements. Lots of vendors told us that the whole design and the current structure made it impossible for them to work. For example, the fridge and display counter. There was no way for them to arrange that stuff. Despite its bid to draw the crowds back, the market remained deserted. If you want to bring the crowds back, you need to bring in unique stalls. At the moment, there is nothing special in the market to draw people in. We've held several events, but they were just a flash in the pan. Shifting focus to northern Taiwan, we find numerous hypermarkets that have made their way into the city. How do small and medium markets and traditional wet markets compete in the face of this new challenge? Located on Taipei's Chongqing North Road, Dalong Market has overcome the dirty, smelly impression that people have of wet markets by storing waste in a refrigerated room. The room prevents the growth of bacteria and the development of foul smells from rotting food. Fresh produce and meat are also kept in refrigerated storage units, and each stall has wastewater facilities. Dirty water is kept from splashing on floors, and the market is kept clean. For customers buying fresh things, fresh foods, we can handle personalized requests. For example, if you don't plan to eat the fresh food right away, we can vacuum seal it for you. Wet markets have to make changes. Not making changes just don't work. They will be dirty, messy, and filled with rats. If we want to compete with supermarkets, we need the right environment. It's the only way to be competitive. It's changes in place. 
Dalung Market shows it is motivated to compete. But how has business been over the past two years? We spoke to the vendors one by one to find out. Here at this butcher stall, we're told that business is worryingly poor. When it set out to renovate, the market aimed for a trendy style and advertised alternative payment methods to attract a younger crowd. But the market's location has remained a problem. Located in one of Taipei's older districts, Datong, the residents nearby are mostly elderly. In its attempt to appeal to younger consumers, the market appears to have alienated older customers. In the initial planning stages, you need to do market research. For example, if I want to open a storefront, I need to know about the local residents, the local consumers. We went on a search for a traditional market that's been commercially successful after its modernization. Established in 1909, Nanmen Market had to be rebuilt due to the use of sand in its original construction. The market closed in October 2019 ahead of demolition. The new Nanmen Market is slated for completion in 2023, and a temporary location has been set up a 10-minute walk away on Hangzhou South Road. This may be just a temporary location, but this market is spacious and clean. The stalls are attractive and the food fresh. Judging by the crowds, it is safe to say that temporary relocation has not destroyed this market's business. There are even visitors who make the trip from Shinju and Miaoli to shop here. Like at other markets, when Nanmen Market's administration said it was rebuilding the facilities, there were many vendors who were vexed and opposed. This resistance is the biggest challenge that markets face in their attempts to modernize. This is the chairman of the temporary Nanmen Markets Autonomous Association, Wang Quanguo. He worked behind the scenes to dispel vendors' concerns. Actually, what traditional markets are most averse to is moving locations. In the early stage, I spoke with them and said it's impossible that we wouldn't lose customers. I asked what we could do to prevent that. Wang spent a year communicating with the government and the vendors. He secured funds for the vendors to renovate their stalls. To ensure customers could get to the new location, the association also arranged for a shuttle bus to pick up customers at the MRT station. A bus leaves the station every 10 minutes, dropping customers off at the entrance to the market. With its location in the heart of Taipei, Nanmen Market is surrounded by tourist bots. Many of the visitors to the market are young people and tourists, and vendors all strive to diversify their products. For example, one shop that used to specialize in cakes, cookies, and other desserts is now selling products made with cranberries, pumpkins, and other ingredients that are aimed at a more health-conscious consumer. Customers can also make custom requests, such as large peach-shaped pastries celebrating longevity with a personalized message.
方便性以及品质、卫生、服务态度。Things like convenience, product quality, customer service attitude, and store facilities can be good measures of how successful a vendor is in modernizing. Hello, Grandma. An atmosphere reminiscent of old Taiwan is what gives the alleys and side streets of the nation cities their special charm. Unchanged by time, older buildings speak of days long gone, while surrounded by skyscrapers that speak of what has come to be. Only time will tell if Taiwan's traditional markets can straddle that invisible barrier, keeping true to the past while staying relevant in the future. The pandemic has made fundraising hard for charities. Now, at last, groups can get back together and continue their vital work. In Kaohsiung, an association that supports people with Down syndrome to gain work skills is making the most of the lifting of COVID restrictions. Mid-autumn festival is coming up, and they've got a plan. Eggs are poured into a machine and beaten into dough. Students work carefully under the guidance of their teacher. All these trainee chefs have special learning needs. The dough goes into the egg roll maker to be pressed flat. The next step is key. You have to roll it into that egg roll cylinder shape just right. Then it's sent to the packing station, where it's weighed to make sure it meets standards before being packed up, ready for customers. They're delicious and so crunchy when you first bite into them, but then they melt in your mouth. Fundraising has been harder than ever before for charities since COVID hit, but for Gaoxiang Down Syndrome Happy Association, Mid-Autumn Festival is a chance to turn things around. They were preparing special mid-autumn gift boxes since before Level Three, but had to wait for restrictions to lift to launch their handmade egg rolls and melted marshmallow cakes. Everything, even the packaging, is handmade by association members with Down syndrome. 我们的手工蛋卷呢，除了在老师耐心的指导下 ，Under the patient direction of our teachers, our service users have put in a lot of care to make these handmade egg rolls. They've had to practice over and over. Give them a try. They're just the right amount of sweet and very appetizing. 呃，帽子、衣服以及手部会做酒精的消毒。We disinfect our hats, clothes, and hands with alcohol. During the cooking, nothing will touch anywhere it shouldn't, like our hair. For members of the association, work like this can be a great stepping stone into more projects and further employment. If you're yet to pick up treats for Mid Autumn Festival, why not treat the family to some handmade egg rolls this year?